He reigns alone. He is the one. History is bent around his birth. Time is wrapped around his hand, and the earth is his footstool, and heaven his throne. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I want to speak to you as we continue this series on the presence-driven life. We have been talking through the different elements that God gives us that we might maintain a presence-driven life. Because make no mistake, the purpose of your life is the presence of God. Because the presence of God will exceed your life. In other words, when you die, the presence remains, and you go even further into the presence. So it's a piece of eternity here on planet Earth. But how do we have access to the presence? Of course, we have access because of Jesus Christ. But he has given us these things, these elements to lead a spirit-filled life. We've talked about the oil that brings unity, that brings forgiveness, that brings deliverance, that brings healing. We've talked about the waters of baptism passing from death to life and that it washes us continually. When we worship, the water washes. When we sit under preaching and read the word, it washes. Last week, we talked about the power of the word of God to redeem you, that when you have the word of God, you have the sword of the spirit and you become very powerful. But today, I wanna speak to you about the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to speak to you about the power of the finished work of the cross. And my title of my sermon today, if you need a title, is Are You the One? Are You the One? You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. We're gonna read a couple verses there. Matthew chapter 11. If you need a Bible, go ahead, grab the Bible right in front of you. Matthew 11, we're gonna read chapters, uh, chapter two, just one or two verses. And as you turn there, I'm going to read to you a verse from Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. The Bible says this, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and then follow me. Here's the sequence. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 says this. Now when John, John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. And he said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Turn to your neighbor and say, Are you the one? Are you the one? This is a question that every man and woman must ask and answer in the span of time that they are given for their life. And it is this, is Jesus the one or should you search for another? John showed us, in asking this question, he showed us really the question of the heart and the soul. Are you the one? Or is there another? And really, we're going to see Christ's response shows us the way to answer this question. It's really the theme of this sermon today. And the theme is that of submission. Because see, submission leads to salvation. Submission is the key that unlocks the door. If you read Pilgrim's Progress, it's not till Pilgrim comes to the cross and kneels that the burden on his back is lifted and the way to the celestial city is open. It is submission that leads to salvation. 
Are you the one, he asks. I pray that the answer we find in our life, we find through submission, and I pray our church and you as Christians will become Christians who are committed to the cross above all else. That there is nothing in your life that takes higher priority or has first place above the cross and may from the cross flow the centrality of your life, all things through the cross. And by it, we gain submission that leads to salvation, sanctification, and heaven with our Savior. Submission to the cross of Jesus Christ leads to salvation. Are you the one? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much who, for who you are, God. We thank you that you are not afraid of our questions, and I thank you that you do provide answers, God. And I pray today, even as I speak, may this word, I pray it brightens in our heart, God. It, it is explosive in our mind, God, that it checks us, that it encourages us, that it challenges us, Lord God, and that we reorient our life around the cross, God. Above everything else, may the cross take central stage in our life. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, amen. 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 What a question John the Baptist asks. See, for you to understand why he's asking this question, you have to understand the context that he's in. We find John the Baptist in prison. See, his ministry had gotten so large, it had been so powerful, and he was so bold, that it got the attention of Herod, the son of King Herod, who ruled over that region of Judea. And, and John got himself in a little bit of trouble, like most prophets do. Most prophets are killed. Most prophets are hated. Most prophets are persecuted. And, Elijah, and, and John the Baptist reminds me of Elijah. He, he seems like an Old Testament prophet that's stuck in the New Testament. You know, he's eating locusts and honey and he's wearing animal skins. It's like, this dude is old school. And he's there in the desert prophesying, baptizing, causing a stir. The Pharisees hate him and Herod hates him. Well, why? Well, it's because he called out Herod. Because see, Herod, Herod, he, uh, he married his brother's wife. It's like a Hunter Biden situation going on here. He married... Ah, <laughs> oh, this is going to be wild today. Don't tell me the Bible's not relevant. He married his brother's wife. And so, <laughs> so John says that's messed up. It's immoral. It's not allowed. Well, Herod's wife obviously was offended by this, and she says, you better go get that guy. And so he arrests him. And now he's stuck in prison. And it's not just any prison, it's a palace prison in the desert. I mean, if you could imagine this, it's on top of a mountain. It's like something out of myth or Lord of the Rings. It's on top of a mountain overlooking the, the Dead Sea, a giant stone prison. And here we find John the Baptist, the one that was to proclaim the way of the Lord, stuck. And he's in darkness and he's under oppression. And the one that he thought the one that he thought Jesus was going to take down now lords over him. The one that he thought Jesus was going to rescue him from, that was going to, he was going to receive salvation from, now he's stuck under him. And now he's wondering, where is my Messiah? Where's the one that was promised? This doesn't make sense. This, this isn't logical. This isn't what I expected. Who will save me? Who will save me? Have you ever felt like you were 
stuck in a position where only God could save you and yet he wasn't coming through the way or in the timing you thought he would come through in. This is John the Baptist looking around saying, this isn't how I thought my ministry would go. I'm in prison. This doesn't make logical sense to me. See, the problem that you will face as a Christian, it's the same problem John faced. Problem is when circumstances can, they can become so difficult, they will cause you to question even salvation. They can cause you to question God. They can cause you to begin to look around and wonder and say, wait a minute, is God real? Is he the one I thought he was? Because this isn't going the way I thought it would go. And here I am all alone. And maybe you haven't been in prison, but maybe you've been in a waiting room outside of a hospital room and you're saying, wait, this isn't what I thought was going to happen. This is what I prayed for. This is what I hoped for. Death of a vision, death of a loved one. Wait, wait, this feels more like prison than it does feel like freedom. Or maybe you're sitting in your own bedroom and you feel like you're under, under assault by the enemy in your mind. And you feel like you're you're living under oppress, oppression, under a wicked tyrant king. You feel like you're, you're living under something that you should not be living under and you feel stuck and you say, wait a minute, where's salvation? Or maybe you've actually been in a literal, real prison. A couple weeks ago, a man named Bob was baptized here. And do you remember his story? He said, I found myself sitting in a jail cell in Smithfield, Rhode Island, and I thought, is this the end? And I'm thankful that God isn't it beautiful poetry? God says, you were in a jail cell in Smithfield, but you'll be baptized in Smithfield as well. He's never done. But I want you to know you're not the only person to go through moments like that. It's called the dark night of the soul. Moments of questioning, moments of wondering, moments of not understanding, and even frustration, feeling like this isn't logical, this isn't what I believe, this isn't what Jordan preached. Wait a minute, why is this not adding up? Here's John the Baptist, one of the greatest men who's ever lived. In fact, Jesus said about John, he said, no man born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than David, and here he is questioning. Here he is losing his faith. Here he is having a crisis. Have you ever felt like you've been in a crisis of faith and no one, no one that you expected to be around is around and you've got to go through this alone? And that's the truth of it. It's the most difficult times in your life. People cannot be the solution for you. Martin Luther puts it this way. He says, every man must do two things alone. He must do his own believing, and his own dying. No one can help you in these two areas. It's just you and it's God. And so here, John the Baptist is in a moment of decision. What is he going to believe? Who is he going to accept? Where is he going to place his faith? Do you remember how John's ministry started? Because see, this moment is so unbelievable because of where he started. He started as the one to pronounce that Jesus is the one. That's what makes this question so unbelievable, is his whole ministry was the ministry of recognition. That when he was in the womb, he recognized Jesus in the womb. His whole ministry was about saying, you're the one. 
In fact, when, when Jesus showed up as John's ministry was already going and baptizing, when Jesus showed up, John stepped into his role as a herald because every king has a herald. Kings don't go anywhere alone. There's a pronouncement that makes the way for them. John was the herald and he was in the desert saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. Why? Because the one is coming. The lamb is coming. The shepherd is coming. The redeemer is coming. And then when Jesus finally showed up, you remember that famous moment? John shouts out, behold the lamb. Powerful. Who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, he recognized him and he pronounced him. What is he saying? He's saying, this is the one. Here's the one that we've been waiting for. Well, what happened? How do you go from this moment, which is so powerful, to a moment of darkness? I mean, just this pronouncement has the whole gospel held within it. It's one sentence, but it's all you need. In fact, there's a famous story when Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers in the 1800s, he was asked by the queen to lead a sermon for the people of London. 22,000 people were to gather at the Crystal Palace in London. So Spurgeon went the day before to figure out the room. Where's the best amplification? They didn't have microphones at that time, so it all came from him. And in placing his pulpit, where is he going to speak on the stage? He said this phrase. He'd shout out, behold the Lamb. And then he'd move to another location. Behold the lamb who takes away the sins. And as he was preaching to an empty room, or so he thought, there was a man that was working in the back wings preparing for the next day in the celebration. And when he heard this pronouncement, he was struck to the heart with conviction. And on that day, he repented and he gave his life to Jesus Christ, a sermon of only one sentence. But it's powerful enough that it's all you need to recognize that Jesus is the one. He's the one who our soul has been searching for. He's the answer that God sent. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And yet John, John the one who baptized Jesus, John the one who saw heaven open, John the one that heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son. I mean, he heard the voice in whom I am well pleased. You want to talk about signs? Some of you ask God, give me a sign. You open the Bible. You ever try that? It's amazing how much it works. I'm blown away. Here, sell all you have, give it to the poor. God. Here. You want to talk about signs? Man. John had all the signs that you could ever want. Baptized Jesus, heard the literal voice of God, saw the Spirit descend like a dove. And here he is, these years later, saying, are you the one or should I look for another? What happened? What happened? Well, in the iconic words of Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And the reality is life hits hard. I don't care if you're filled with the most faith in the world, life hits hard. I don't care if you're the greatest prophet to ever walk the land, life hits hard. Life gets difficult. The valleys are deep. 
the nights grow long, and sometimes God doesn't show up the way you wanted or hoped or dreamed or heard that he would show up. So John is stuck in prison, and he starts wondering, I'm not so sure anymore. Let me ask him, should I look for another? Why? Simply because of unmet expectations. God didn't show up the way he thought he would, and John's expectations of the Messiah did not match his current circumstances. And this wouldn't just be John's problem. This is all of Israel's problem. They thought that Jesus was going to come and start a political revolution. That's what we believe. They thought Jesus was going to come and was going to set them free physically. But Jesus says, I came here to establish a spiritual kingdom and set you free spiritually. I'm about eternity, not just temporary. John couldn't figure that out. John, 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 this isn't what he expected. This isn't what Israel expected. This isn't what his disciples expected. All of them had to go through the test of unmet expectations. And you and I will have to go through that test as well. John had to go through it. John the Baptist had to go through it. Peter had to go through it. What do you do when God doesn't do when, what you expected him to do? What happens when the prayer is delayed? What happens when it seems it's denied? What happens when your faith falters? What happens when there's lack where you thought there'd be blessing, where there's no healing and yet there's sickness? What do you do? What do you do when God doesn't meet your expectations? John is in a cell and he's thinking to himself, well, surely he'll rescue me. I've got a great ministry. I've got more to do. I'm his cousin. I'm blood. Part of me wonders, and please don't take this as theology. I don't, I don't think it is, but part of me wonders if John like, tried to get arrested to get this thing going. Like, let's go. I don't think that's true, but it's just what I think about. And he's, he's sitting there and he's saying, this isn't how I thought this would go. Have you ever felt that God had allowed a situation in your life that he shouldn't have? Have you ever found yourself sitting in circumstances that you never could have imagined that, that went the opposite of how you thought they would go and should go? Maybe it's a loss of a dream, the finality of that, death of a vision, loss of a child, loss of a parent. Maybe it's a lack of healing. Maybe it's even personal where you aren't who you thought you would be. You aren't who you wanted to be. And you're saying, what's wrong here? Where's my Messiah? Where's my rescue? Did I get this wrong? Is Jesus the one? I got to rethink some things here. Or is there maybe another way? And that's what John asks. If you're not the one, it's okay, but I'm going to keep looking. Is there another way? Well, that's the question that all of humanity's asked. If it's not Jesus, then it must be another way. If it's not Jesus, I got to save myself. And there's so many different ways of self-salvation that humanity pursues. Where we say, well, if it's not Jesus, maybe I should be investigating another way. Maybe I should go the way of money. Maybe money will save me. 
If I just had more money, I could get us out of these circumstances. If I had more influence, I could change these things. If I had more power, I could set things right. I'll save myself. I just got to climb higher in the company. I just got to set things around me. If I could just build my life, if I could have the car and the garage and the house and the wife and the kids, then maybe I'll find peace or salvation. Well, well, maybe if I could just orchestrate things. Or maybe you think like, if I could give more money, I feel good at Christmas. So maybe I could save myself through altruism, the Scrooge model. If I could just give more. If I could have more, if I could give more, I'd feel better. If I could just save myself through money. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you think, just like humanity has thought, one of the other ways I can, I can pursue salvation, if it's not God, well, I better get going. So it's the way of activism. Oh, I got to get to work. I got to change the culture. I got to change politics. I got to change my society. I got to change my family. I'll do it. I'll show up. I'll print the cards. I'll get the, the posters going. We'll get moving. I'll make this happen because maybe salvation's up to me. Maybe change is up to me. Maybe it's up to us. And you ever wonder why sometimes activists get so angry because they have to become Messiah? I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. I'll make it happen. I'll bring the change. I know what's right and this is wrong. I'll bring the change. I'll be the savior because obviously it's got to be someone. One of the ways that many times we investigate salvation is spiritual ascension. Maybe through meditation, I can find my center. I'll empty myself of the universe and see what fills me. Maybe it's, maybe it's through mindfulness. Maybe I need more comfort. Maybe I need more me time. Maybe I need a four-day work week, three-day work week, two-day work, four-hour work week. <laughs> maybe I need Black Friday. No judgment, people. <laughs> maybe if I get more. Maybe if I give more. Maybe if I've maximized my life. Maybe I, if I go minimalist. Maybe I can find my way through spiritual experiences or alternative routes. Maybe if I try substances, LSD, THC, poetry, <laughs> something, philosophy, psychology, but the truth is all the counseling in the world cannot counsel the issue of sin, cannot bring salvation. Good things can never take the place of God things. And so like John the Baptist, we will all find ourselves in a stuck place at one point in our life asking this real question, should I try and save myself? Because that's what he's really asking. He's saying, Jesus, am I on my own here or should I try and do something else? But see, the real question, the even deeper question that you and I have to answer is this, am I willing to submit to God's plan of salvation, whatever that looks like? Whatever his timing is, whatever his way is, am I willing to submit to his way, not my way? His timing, not my timing. His plan, not my plan. Or will I require God to follow my plan? Bless me the way I want to be blessed. Lead me the way I want to be led. Lord, I believe you, but you got to be my rendition of a Messiah. This is what John struggled with. This is what we struggle with. 
But Jesus showed us the way. Jesus showed us the way. What did Jesus do? He submitted. Jesus submitted. He submitted to God. He submitted to death even on a cross. Having done nothing wrong, no sin, he submitted even to the humiliation of the cross. Jesus submitted. And he shows us the way to the answer of salvation through the cross. The cross is Christ's submission to God's plan. And I'll prove it. The final statement that Jesus makes on the cross, the very last thing he says of the seven statements from the cross is this. He says, Father, into your hands I commit. I commit. I surrender. I submit. Not my hands, into your hands. Not my way, but your way. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Submission is what Jesus teaches us on the cross. And submission to Christ must come through submission to the cross. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And here's the truth that you have to know today. Your cross will be a perfect fit for you. No one else can carry your cross. Truth is, I don't think anyone else can even understand your cross. It's between you and God. Even if you tried to, even if you tried to explain it to other people, they might say, you know, I, I, I see how that's an issue. I see how that'd be tough. But they can't understand the depth because they're not living your life. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's a perfect fit. Make no mistake, even when you carry the cross, you're not carrying it alone. Like you are Simon, maybe helping Jesus carry the cross, but Jesus is carrying the greater weight. He's giving you a small portion just so that you and I might share in the wine of suffering that we might also share in his glory. But the truth is, you will have to go through things in your life. And maybe even, maybe even you're praying for God to take things away that he gave you. Maybe you're even praying for a miracle where God's saying, that's your cross. Paul had a thorn in his side and he said, God, take it away. But God says, that's your cross. I mean, think about John. He's sitting in this cell and he's, he's, he's imprisoned by Herod. You can't think of something that John would hate more. John's whole purpose is to recognize and pronounce the coming of the true king. And here he is sitting under the thumb of the false king, the weak king, the cowardly king. Herod was a puppet of Rome. He didn't even have any power himself. And yet he's got power over, over John. And John's calling out the immorality. And then the wife that he called out, she ends up taking his head. You can't imagine I feel for John, because I feel sometimes I'm a little bit of a fighter. I don't know if you found this about me. And I just feel, I feel for John where he's saying, how dare this false king have any authority over me? But John, but Jesus says, can you submit to what I have planned for you, even if it costs you everything, even if it's extremely difficult? And, and maybe for someone else, it would be just like kind of a normal imprisonment. Like, this isn't good. I don't like this. But for John, it was custom made. And the truth is, your cross will be custom made for you. And other people might not understand it. To one, motherhood might be a cross. 
where you say, I don't feel like I was made to mother these children. I, don't, I, feel, like, I, I feel like I don't got it. I feel like I'm incapable or, or I, I feel like I, feel like I, I don't want to give up my life. I want to live my life, but having this child, I got to give up my life. And to one, it's a cross. But to another mother that desperately wants kids, they could never understand how that's a cross. That's something I would want with everything in my life. And, and so you, the two could never understand each other. To one, it's a cross. To other, it would be an unbelievable blessing. Some of you are going to have to take care of your parents in their elder years. To one, you say, I'm so blessed. My parents took care of me. I'm glad I can provide. But to others, this might be a very difficult thing. Maybe having to take care of a parent that emotionally or physically abused you, that manipulated you and tormented you. And in the elder years, you have to bless and not curse. And you could tell other people about it, but they didn't grow up in your home and they could never understand it. But you choose, you choose to not pay them back for what they did to you. Well, that's a cross and it's a difficult one to bear. For some of you, you have to bear the cross of not coping in the way that you used to cope, which was unhealthy and addictive. Like, so to one, driving by a liquor store is nothing. I've got no desire to turn in. I don't care. In fact, I'm wondering why is that place always hopping so much? Goodness gracious. <laughs> but to another, you got to take a different route home. To another, you got to grip that steering wheel and say, I will not pull in that parking lot. To some, you count the days since the last time you had a drink. You count the days since the last time you engaged in your addiction because every day is a victory. And to others, I've never kept track because that's not their cross. And one cannot understand the other because the cross is custom made. It's made for you and you alone. But one and one only can understand the cross. Jesus gets right beside you. He carries it with you. He's in the prison with John. He's beside the cross with you. He's in the valley. He's in the mountaintop. Wherever you go, he is right there beside you. And you have to choose, will I accept what God has given me to carry? Will I accept self-crucifixion? Deny yourself. Take up your own cross and follow me. In our society, we have a choice, self-satisfaction or self-crucifixion. And in order to follow Jesus, he says, you have to be willing to embrace the cross. We see this all the way back in the Old Testament with the three Hebrew children. Remember, they were captured and brought to Babylon. They were enslaved. And King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he set up a, an image that everyone in the nation had to bow down to and they had to worship. Well, this was a difficult issue for them because they believed in only one God and they refused to worship any other. And so the three Hebrew children refused to bow and they refused to worship. So everyone else in the kingdom, they came to Nebuchadnezzar and they said, you got to deal with this. He dragged them before the council in front of everyone else and he says, I'll give you one last chance. You bow or you die. And they had to make a choice. Do I choose to embrace the cross or will I go the easy way, the temporary way, the way that might give me life temporarily, what I want temporarily, but I'll lose the thing that truly matters. And so they had a choice. Will they bow before Babylon or will they stand before Zion? And they chose, they made their choice. I will not bow to any lesser king. Benjamin Franklin says, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. They said, we're not going to bow.
Nebuchadnezzar grabbed them, threw them into the fire. The fire killed even their oppressors as they were thrown in. But after a moment, Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he said, didn't we send three men into the fire? Certainly majesty, good perception. He said, well, I see a fourth man and he's walking around with them. They're unbound and unharmed. That's the gospel. And the fourth looks like the son of God. We say, well, how did that happen? Because the Israelites made a choice. We are going to serve God even if he doesn't rescue us. However this goes, I'll accept my cross. Even if he doesn't show up, I still won't bow to Babylon. But the good news is he always shows up. Who is that fourth man in the fire? Who is the one that looks like the son of God? He is the fire by night and the cloud by day. He is the commander of the Lord's armies. He is the bread that comes down from heaven. He is the bright morning star. He is the one. He is the scarlet, ro uh, scarlet cord that saved Rahab and her family. He is the stone that crushed Goliath and freed Israel. He is the word that was spoken before the formation of the earth. He is the one. He is the dove that returned to Noah. He is the ravens that fed Elijah. And he is the eagle in Isaiah. He's the one that shook the upper room, shook the prison walls, and he is the one that shakes the nations today. He was there at the beginning, and he will begin the end. He created all things, redeems all things, sanctifies all things, and is glorified by all things. He is matchless, mighty, worthy, holy, and above all, he reigns alone. He is the one. History is bent around his birth. Time is wrapped around his hand, and the earth is his footstool, and heaven his throne. There is none before him, none like him, and none will be saved except through him. The Pharisees hated him, but the people loved him. Pilate condemned him. The crowd shouted, crucify him, but he whispered, forgive them. He's the one. He carried the cross that was not his, the sins that were not his, so that we could become his. He's the one that now gives mercy and grace freely and fully to all of humanity. Thank you, Jesus. You're the one. You're who our soul has been searching for. You're the one, Lord God, that came to bring salvation when we, when we didn't deserve it, God. You're the one that did the work we could not do. You are the one. You made a way where there was no way. Rivers through the desert. A way through the wilderness. You are the one. Jesus tells the disciples of John, he's so gracious, he doesn't even get mad at John. He just says, go and tell John what you hear and you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Because see, the truth is, everyone will have the opportunity to be offended with God, to be hurt by what he doesn't do, by what we perceive 
by the perceived lack of answer from God. You're going to have the opportunity to be hurt by God. And you might say, well, that's crazy. How could I ever be hurt by God? But the reality is you might have to overcome in this area. Blessing comes when you choose. I won't be offended. No matter what he does, I'm devoted. I'm devoted. He gives life, he takes, but I'm devoted. Reigns on the just and the unjust, but I'm devoted. I choose to not question. I choose to not, I choose to not ask. I choose to just believe I'm devoted. I'm not going to be the one that says, why did God not? Why didn't he? Why should he should? I'm not going to be the one that says, this is where I lost my faith or this is where I have an issue with him. I'm not going to speak like that. I'm going to choose to not be offended. I'm going to choose to be devoted whatever God does, whatever he does, whatever he does. John died in prison, but he said, I submit. I submit. See, his mission at first was to to bring in the coming of the Savior. But when that mission was done, his new mission was submission. And that's the overall mission that God gives to all of us. Will you submit your whole life, your hopes, your dreams, your fears to the cross? Because submission leads to salvation. John had to live out that prophecy. He must become greater and I must become less. You and I will have to live out that prophecy. So my question for you today is, what in your life do you need to submit or resubmit to the foot of the cross? What areas in your life, circumstances, relationships, maybe habits, belief systems, maybe resentment or unbelief, maybe pride, a hard heart, having to be right. So many different areas where the enemy the enemy can gain control, and I'm asking you to bring that back to the foot of the cross and say, God, even if I don't understand, I submit. Even if you don't show up the way I hope, I submit. I deny myself, I take up my cross, and I follow you. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you wanna learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.